Well, let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we have arrived in our, in our uh, study of this book. We're still on schedule to finish this year. Nobody believed me when I said that, but, uh, and it still may yet not happen, but we'll see. Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verse 10 is where we are. We got up to verse nine. This is a very interesting passage. And, um, uh, I'm looking, looking forward to just sharing with you what I've, uh, gleaned from it in the study of this passage. I'm going to read verse 10 to 17, but our focus is going to be on verses 10 to 15, and uh, Lord willing, we'll look at verses 16 and 17 next week. Uh, if you're using one of our Bibles, this is on page 1416, 1416, 2 Timothy 3. I'll read 10 to 17, but 10 to 15 will be our focus. Now, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Look again at verse 15. Uh, It says, And that from childhood you have already known the sacred writings. Then here comes the portion I want us to look at. It says, Which are able to give you... The wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. This passage here, although there's a lot in it, really that last piece of verse 15 is, is crucial. It's saying that, 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 um, t- he, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you, you got this wisdom and it led you to salvation. It's the wisdom that leads to salvation. And you learned that salvation. You see the word learn in verse 14. It says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned. Timothy learned salvation. And everybody who has salvation learned it. Uh, there's, one sense, there's a sense in which we can say that that is true of us all. We learn it. There was a time when, uh, there was a time when we didn't know it. We didn't have it salvation and that then there's a time where we we've got it we learn salvation what i want to do is look at verse 10 to 15 in a couple ways i noticed that in this passage paul speaks about the source of our salvation we can i think i can say it that way and it's a twofold source there's two pieces to it how timothy got salvation where did he learn it and then then the second piece of all this is that he's he's telling us um 
about the, the process by which he learned it. And it's a three-step process. So there's a two-fold source and a three-step process. And um, I don't have a poem, but that's good enough. You know, we got two, three, and let's go with this. And so I'd like us to look here again, at, first of all, at the twofold source that's mentioned here. Where did Timothy get salvation? How did he learn it? Or, or where was it that he learned it from? Look again at verse 14. It says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. Then he says, knowing, and here's the first one, from whom... You have learned them. People uh, were instrumental in Timothy's life. And Timothy came to understand salvation and to experience salvation because of people. And they were sincere people. And that's what I'd like to say is the first piece of the source of salvation is sincere people. Again, look at verse 14. He says, uh, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And then if you look at verse 15, he mentions his Timothy's childhood and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. Part of the picture of who Timothy learned salvation from was, was from his mother and his grandmother. If you want to turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5, they're mentioned there. <clears throat> well, hold it. I made a mistake. It's 2 Timothy. Sorry. <laughs> Just checking to see if anybody caught my mistake. <laughs> Second Timothy, I looked at First Timothy one five. That's not it. Second Timothy one five says, "For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice." And I'm sure that it is in you as well. Don't know about Timothy's father, probably not a believer, but his mother was, became one, and his grandmother was. And probably they were um, Hebrews. They were Jewish people who were God-fearers. And then the gospel came and they became converted and became uh, completed Jews, ones who recognized the Messiah as being Jesus Christ. And they're, they passed on to Timothy then, young man in that, in that home, the truth. They began to tell him the truth. And so sincere people, his mother, his grandmother, influenced him. And Timothy came to faith in Christ. This makes me want to just say something that you can thank the Lord if you were raised in a Christian home. Amen. Uh, not all, not everyone is raised in a Christian home, and many. But those of us who were, and if that's you, you can thank God for that. Sometimes, people who become Christians as their when they're children, later in life they hear other people's testimonies. You know, like I, you know, I was a drug addict, and uh, you know. Uh, chainsaw murder and then I came to Christ you know I mean and they, they, have the, they hear these dramatic testimonies of these dramatic changes and praise God for that you know we're, we worship God because he does that all the time but sometimes a person who's grown up in a Christian home hears those things and kind of wishes you know I wish my story was like their story 
My, my story seems so, so uneventful. My story just doesn't seem as good as her story or his story. But I want to tell you something. That when you, if you slip into that, that kind of thinking, and I've heard people say that before, I want to remind you that you're forgetting about something. And that something is sin. And the seriousness of sin and the scars that sin leave on people. Don't ever be sorry that you didn't go down some road that scarred you and other people because of your sin. And then God dramatically changed you. Those people who are dramatically changed have been saved and cleansed and forgiven. We praise God for that. But they'll be the first ones to tell you, yes, but I have scars. And I've left scars on other people. And I wish it wasn't that way. Most of them look at you who are raised in a Christian home and say, man, I wish I had a testimony like you. So let's not, let's not forget that. So here's Timothy, and he began to learn the, this salvation. He began to learn it right in his home. But, but the whole context, though, points to someone else, too, and that someone else is the Apostle Paul. Look back up at verse 10. He says, now you followed my, my teaching, he says. And then he goes on for another list, which we'll look at in just a moment. Paul is, one, is the one also from whom Timothy has learned salvation. He learned it from sincere people. His mother and grandmother were some of them, and so was the Apostle Paul. Now, it's very interesting the way Paul gives us this list. You know, we looked at a list of of vices last week. Now we look at a list of virtues, and, and it's very interesting. I want us to look at this list in verse 10 and 11 again. Now, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. I've read it that way on purpose in triads. They kind of hang together in in groups of three. Notice the, the first group, what he's saying. He says, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose. Those are linked, I believe. He's saying in teaching, he says, you followed, you learned from me my, my teaching. You, you learned the content of our faith, the content, what we believe, the doctrine, the teaching. But it wasn't just head knowledge because it says my teaching, my conduct. What I believe has changed how I live. Amen. My conduct has been changed. So, Timothy, you've been following along with me and you've seen what I believe and you've seen how it's changed me and how I live differently. And then the, the next word is purpose. And this speaks to motivation. This is why. So these first three words are loaded. They're saying, Timothy, you've followed. You know now what I believe you know how, it, how I behave, and you know why. You know why for all of that. This is powerful. And then the next three, faith, patience, love. This is three words. It could have, he could have picked a few others and other places in the Bible he has. But here this is talking about his character. And that, that he is truly a sincere transfer of truth from God to other people. He's not a hypocrite. He's real. 
He has faith that's real. Patience and perseverance. He mentions that in a moment. And love. This is character. These three words are talking about a person. They're describing a person that's been transformed from the inside out. Not someone that's merely taken on religious practices. And tried to do certain things. This is someone who's been changed on the inside. If you want to look quickly, look at Mark chapter 7. So on page 1195 in our Bibles here. When we went through the book of Mark, of course, we camped here for a while. And from time to time, I come back to this chapter, Mark chapter 7. Because Jesus is is pointing to something that's crucial that we've got to understand. And... So I come back to it all the time. <clears throat> he, chap, Mark chapter 7, I'm going to start reading at verse 18. But here we see uh, Jesus has just had an interaction with the Pharisees. And they're, they're um, criticizing Jesus' disciples because they didn't uh, wash their hands in a certain way before they ate. And Jesus is... Is, is correcting and rebuking the Pharisees about their concern about these outward religious practices where the inside is left unchanged. And then he gets later after he's left the Pharisees, he's in this conversation with the, with the crowd and with his own disciples. And in verse 18, it says, And he said to them, his disciples, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him. They were hung up on rules about what you can eat or not eat. Saying it's not the outside stuff that defiles us. Verse 19. Because it does not go into his heart. Now there's the crucial piece. What you eat doesn't go into your heart, he says. It goes into your stomach. And the real issue is in the heart. The real issue is in the heart of a person. Look at verse 20. And he was saying that which proceeds out of a man, that's what defiles the man. Not what goes in, but what comes out. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man jesus is trying to say he's trying to say the issue is in the heart and people who are trying to find god and trying to get their life fixed up they're trying to make things right with god and they approach it from the perspective of just trying to change their outward behavior and maybe do some religious things They're missing the point because Jesus is saying to you, you can change the outside all you want. It's the inside that needs changed. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's why I came. Jesus said, Jesus came to change the inside. Amen. He came to change the inside. And so if we go back to this, this uh, list of, of, Paul's where he's expressing to Timothy he says you've seen this in me those three words faith patience love what Paul's saying is you've seen that my insides have been changed you've seen I'm not perfect he never said that but I have faith that's real 
And I have patience that's, that's more than just the result of, of um, my own will or my willpower. And I have love, a love for other people that's real. And you've seen it, Timothy. You've seen it. And then, again, back in this list in verse 10 and 11, this is in verse, uh, right there at the end of verse 10, it says, perseverance, and this is, this is crucial, perseverance, and then he says, persecutions and sufferings, those three now round out the list. Timothy, Paul's saying, you've seen how I've responded to difficulty. Difficulties have come my way, and what have I done? And you see, the way I've responded, and he's not patting himself on the back. This is all goes, the glory all goes to the Lord. But he say, he's just trying to make the point that, that what I have is real. It's come from God. Amen? And when difficulties came, what happened? Well, my faith and my patience and my love grew. I was changed for the better. And I didn't abandon my faith, but I persevered. I persevered. And he talks about that in other places in ways that that make it clear that he's not patting himself on the back because he says that the perseverance comes from Christ. Okay? So Christ, though, gives me the ability and I've persevered. A person's interaction with difficulty is a wonderful, though not necessarily a fun, but it's a wonderful opportunity for that Christian to have their own faith solidified and and for Christ to be glorified. And he mentions in verse 11 there, this was interesting, it says, persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Would you like to see what those were? This is the fun part of the sermon. Turn to Acts. We had a fun part last week too. Acts. That was all the way back in Exodus. This isn't so far back. Acts chapter 13. It's on page... This, was, this is the first time this happened. Acts 13.13. 13. It's on page 13.13. 13. That was funny last night when I figured that one out. Okay. <clears throat> He mentions in 2 Timothy, uh, um, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. So I went back and thought, okay, where, where was that? And sure enough, the story is right here. The story is right here. And we won't read every verse, but, but watch what happens. Verse 13, so Acts 13, 30. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch. There's two Antiochs, by the way. So the Antioch he's talking about here is the Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue and sat down. So they go in to Antioch. They're welcomed into the synagogue. And then much of the chapter is, is uh, relating what Paul teaches and, and, uh, and speaks to them. It's very, it's very interesting. Then he gets to verse 42. Okay, verse 42. They, and by the way, there was a great reception to what they were saying, which unsettled some people. So in verse 42, it says, As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging them that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. 
Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the, of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. Now, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. And he quotes Isaiah, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord is being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. So here we're in the story, the story that Paul's referred to uh, already. So here they are, and um, great reception, but then persecution in Antioch. They're driven out of the place, and now they go to Iconium. Now look, look in uh, um, verse 14. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue... Four, chapter, chapter 14, verse 1. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. But when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe in the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So now he's driven out of Iconium, threatened with death, and he's driven out. And one of the places he goes is Lystra, the third place he mentions in Second Timothy. Look down at verse 19. And Lystra, by the way, we know, here, at least here, possibly beforehand, Timothy is in this mix. Timothy is here. Timothy is in this. It's not mentioned, but he's in this story. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. So he's having a good time preaching the gospel in Lystra. And the guys that are upset in the neighboring two towns, they come. Does any of this happen these days? It does, my friend. We saw it in Africa. It was mentioned lately. Um, everywhere we went and started a church... A mosque sprung up. It became almost like we, we could just predict it. And the people didn't have money to build the mosques. The mosques, were, I don't, the money was rumored to be coming from the Middle East. So here we are just podunk nobodies out in the middle of nowhere. But we're preaching the gospel. And everywhere we went, somebody else that was upset came and started something to counterdict it. This kind of thing is not just a story that happens in the book of Acts. This is going on now. This is going on all around the world. 
So now it says in 19, people from the other two places, Antioch and Iconium, they come. And having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul. What they had tried to do before, now they finally get to do it. They stoned Paul and drag him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Try to picture this. They've, drug, they've stoned him. He's unconscious. He's bleeding. They drag his body as if it's, it's a corpse. They drag it out of the city and leave it there and go back. And then verse 20, but while the disciples stood around, so there they are. And my friend Timothy is standing in this group. And they're standing there probably with a lot of tears. And probably they themselves have been roughed up. And they're standing there and they're looking at their beloved mentor and he's dead but he wasn't dead (laughs) while the disciples stood around him he got up this is unbelievable he gradually revives and he gets up he wasn't dead can you imagine and they said let's get out of here and then look at the rest of the verse 20 and entered the city (laughs) timothy you remember you followed he says my perseverance and my sufferings and my persecutions they stone him almost to death and he gets up and he walks right back into town and the next day he went away with barnabas to derby all that progression that whole story and and um a screenwriter could have could have a lot of fun with this story because we only have the bare bones of it can you imagine what happened in the interaction with the people the disciples within themselves and and paul but paul says to timothy he says you were with me with all that timothy you saw it you learned this from me you see sincere people can be in one sense a source of our salvation in the sense of pointing us in the right direction and this passage i want to say it gives us not only a picture of what timothy learned from paul but of the dynamic of real Christianity that ought to be taking place in each of our lives. Is this description, is that description of change occurring in your life? Are your beliefs being solidified and they're changing your behavior? And your motivations are the motivations that take you through difficulty? Do they endure? Is your character... That which is an inside-out change, it's not something that you're just changing your outward because of your own willpower. Are you standing in the midst of storms? This is what you want. This is what we all want. This is what real Christianity is. And if you're seeking, if you're seeking God, and you're not real sure about some of what the Bible says. And the thought of being reconciled with God and having eternal life intrigues you and you, you want it and you're, you're not sure you have it. Then you seek these kind of people. You seek, seek out sincere people who have it. They've got what you want and they're real. Not perfect, but they're real. And you seek them out. You seek them out. And then if you've found this reconciliation with God, well, then you and I, my friend, we have to be these kind of people. Amen. 
We need to shed any hypocrisy, any hint of hypocrisy in us. We've got to bring that to God and say, Lord, clean, clean me up. Change me, oh God. I want to be the real thing. And as you're praying that, you have to be open to the fact that there may be somebody around you that needs a, the real thing in their life. And you might be it. Amen? It's not just the preacher. It's all of us. There's people around you that need Christ, but they need the real, a real example of a Christian near them that can be the first piece of the source of their salvation. Well, then there's a second, the second piece of uh, the source. Look at verse 15. It says, and that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings. You see, there's a twofold source of this salvation. It's sincere people, but it's also the sacred writings, which is the scriptures. And in one sense, really, that's the only real source. Salvation doesn't actually come out of the sincere people. The sincere people just get you to the other source, the sacred writings. And notice the wording. I want you to see this in verse 15. But I'm going to back up to 14 so you catch the difference between how this, these two verses speak about the people versus the, the sacred writings, the scriptures. Look at 14. You, how, how, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them and knowing that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able... To give you the wisdom that leads to salvation, which are able. The the scripture doesn't use that phrase in reference to the people. The people are sincere people and they help you, but they're not able to actually bring you salvation. But the word of God is. Amen. The word of God is. It is able The people in Timothy's life pointed him to the scriptures. The Bible is the ultimate source of our salvation. There's nothing else on earth like this book. Amen? And actually next week, the Lord giving us life. Verse 16 and 17 speaks of scripture, and I, I want to spend more time there on that. But there's nothing else like this book. There's nothing else like this book. And it's the source. It's the spring from which we drink and we find salvation. It's what God takes and uses and opens our eyes and softens our heart and moves our will so that we, we see and understand our need for Christ and we, and we reach out in faith to Christ. It comes from God using the scripture in us. And now, note too, what it is that the scripture leads us to in verse 15. It says, you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom. It's a wisdom that leads to salvation. My friend, you won't get that wisdom. The wisdom that leads to salvation, you won't find that wisdom in Barnes and Noble. You just won't find it there unless they're selling Bibles. 
There, there's, you know, you know what it's like. Just look at, look at all the self-help books and all that. There's a lot of people out there who want to give you and me advice. But the wisdom and some things they have to say are, are good, but none of it is wisdom that leads to salvation. You won't get that wisdom anywhere else. But here, I was thinking of um, this passage. I'm going to read it quick. First Corinthians chapter 2. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. I wasn't the greatest orator, Paul said, the greatest public speaker. But, and the wisdom that the world looks for, the world's wisdom, I didn't, I didn't preach with that. I didn't teach with that. But, he said, in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. A little later he says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God um, ordained before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And then he says this, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. And one of the things God has freely given us is this book. And he's saying that he's given us the spirit of God that we can know the wisdom of God in this book. It says, and those are the things that we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit. Ah, uh, my friend, Paul is saying back now to Second Timothy in verse 15. He says, there's a wisdom that leads to salvation and the source of it is in the scriptures. And God opens eyes. And then it's a salvation, he says, through faith. Look at verse 15 again. The wisdom that leads to salvation through faith. The salvation that we have, the deliverance that we have, the safety that we get and that we have is through faith. Amen? The salvation that the scripture speaks of is not a salvation that you earn. It's not a salvation that you do something to attain it. It's a salvation that you receive and you receive it through faith, trusting in, in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the kind of salvation that we're be, that's being talked about. And then it says salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. No one else. It's only in him because he's the only one who is the mediator between God and men. So my question before we go on is, where are you looking for this wisdom? Maybe you're looking for this wisdom so that you can have the salvation that you want. Where are you looking for it? The place to look for it is in the scriptures, in the sacred writings. And to plead with God that his spirit would open your eyes and you'd understand it and, and, and really understand it. To the place where you, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ. Where are you looking for the salvation? It's right in this book. 
It's right in this book. So the twofold, the twofold source, if we can say it that way, of salvation that t- Paul's ta- telling Timothy is sincere people and the sacred scriptures. Sincere people and the sacred scriptures. And then, though, he mentions that there's this three-step process that we all go through in learning the salvation. And, and um, let's look at that. Look at verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. Right there, you can see the three steps. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. Um, Right there, you can see it. The first step is you've got to learn it. You have to learn this salvation. You, however, he says, continue in the things you have learned. Like we said before, (laughs) there was a time you didn't know it, and now you know it. There was a time you didn't have it, now you have it. You've learned salvation. You're, You're learning it. It's not the only place in Scripture where Paul uses this idea. Actually, in Ephesians, he says, when he was correcting them, he says, you didn't learn Christ in this way. He actually talks about learning Christ. You didn't know him, now you, now you know him. So that's the first step, you learn. But then notice he goes on. The second step is you become convinced. There's a difference, my friend. You learn it, and then you become convinced of. You, however, it says in verse 14, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. Some people learn a little bit, but never get become convinced of it. You have to become convinced. Paul, Paul became convinced that what was true was true. And he would endure even persecution rather than move off of that, that mark. He was convinced. And Timothy had become convinced of things. What about you? You learn, but you have to become convinced. This is especially, I want to just say that as I look at this, I think too of those of us who are parents who are seeking to raise up our children in the faith. You know, they learn it, but they've got to become convinced of it. Amen? And sometimes as parents, that can be scary. Real scary. Because they're getting older, they become young adults. Now, now it, 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 it's not enough just to tell them, you know, No, (laughs) they've got to become convinced of what they believe and what they don't. And sometimes they make choices that are that are scary. And sometimes they teeter on the edge of choices that they got mom and dad on their knees, man, praying. Because now they're adults and you, you can't control them. Actually, you never could just to give you a hint, but. We think we can. We can control them a lot. Uh, we can control a lot about them. But as they get older, that, that gets smaller and smaller. And so it should be. But are you working as parents to help them? Even when it's at this point where you can control a lot about them, are you helping them to move past the learning to being convinced? We've got to do that, moms and dads. We've got to help them think. We have to listen to their questions. We have to keep our mouth shut when they say some questions and doubts that are a little bit scary. Turns your blood to ice. I don't know. Does God exist? (gasps) 
I won't even ask the show of hands how many parents have heard their kids say that, right? It's like you've been raised in the church. You've, you know that. No, no, no. Shh. They're, they're in the process of becoming convinced. You might be actually more authentic to look at them eye to eye and say, you know what? I've asked the same question at times. But God's brought me through that. He'll bring you through it too. Should I really? Why should I not do this, Dad? I'm thinking about doing this. And you're thinking, you're going to ruin your life. But what do you say? Well, if you're authentic, you look at him and you say, you listen and you pray and you offer advice as they let you. And you pray and you pray. And all that you, all of the investment over the years, you can watch God bring it to fruition then. But I'm telling you, it can be scary. And you're asking God, help this child become convinced that this is true. And you know, even for ourselves, and this this ties in with our children, one of the, unfortunately, well, it must be in God's plan, so it's fortunate, but one of the issues that he uses to convince us is trials. Over and over in scripture, we see it. It's the difficult times. It's the pressing times. That our own faith is strengthened and it's proved even to ourselves and to the people around us. That's what 1 Peter 1 says. And it becomes purer faith and stronger faith. And the trials God uses to solidify us, to dry the cement, we become convinced And as a parent watching your child go through the trials, that's that's tough. But you hang in there and you be what you're supposed to be. And then you watch God bring them prayerfully and you you keep praying that their faith, they become convinced of it. Sometimes we try to keep trials from our children just out of love but sometimes that's not the thing to do you better listen to the lord because he, he can keep you out of it if he wants if you're going to muck it up he, he can get you out of the way try to be sensitive to god we learn salvation and then we become convinced of it pray for your children amen pray 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 and pray for your brother and sister that's going through a trial we all, we're all, we all need this. Going through a difficult time. Pray not only that if it be God's will, they'd li- he'd lift the trial. That's always our, our desire. But pray that while the trial is there under God's sovereignty, that our, my sister, my brother's faith will become, they'll become convinced in the middle of it. And then thirdly, lastly, it's, uh, did you see the third step? It's right there in the beginning. Continue. You see, it says, you, however, continue. That's step three. It started how? In the things you've learned, step one. Step two, become convinced of. Now step three, continue in it. Continue. Keep going. Keep going in this. You have to abide. It's very interesting. You know, John 15 with this passage about abiding in Christ. That's the very same word here. Abide in these things, Timothy. You've learned them. You've become convinced of them. Now stick with it. Stay in that. 
Don't lose it. Don't get fuzzy. Don't start to forget. Stay on target. Stay where you've become convinced. Yeah, I remember um, no comments about last night's football game, but I'll reference West Virginia University. Um, uh, you know, when I was a student there, I got a degree in wildlife management. Loved it. Always loved <clears throat> being out in the woods, and and I thought that was where I was going to spend my whole life. But God had a different different uh, different plan for me. But we had the distinction, us wildlife management guys, we had the distinction of having the earliest class in the whole university. That was our ornithology class. That's a big fancy word for birds. So we bird watched on our, in our lab. So, you know, 8 o'clock, that's not early, let me tell you, buddy. The, the, the sun was coming up and we were already in the woods. And man, we learned birds. I got to tell you, we learned birds. We could tell birds just by their call. Matter of fact, one of our exams, I remember we had a room full of stuffed birds. And then they would cover in various ways. They would cover these birds. I remember one bird that was on the stand. You know, it was covered except its legs. It only had its legs. And I knew what it was, man. I could tell a bird by its legs. And I could even tell you its Latin scientific name. I mean, is that useful? But you know, I mean, you could, you know, a little wing, a feather. I said, oh yeah, I know what that is. It's a yellow-bellied sapsucker, piece of cake, you know. But yeah, you know, and you just go, we knew it. Man, we knew birds. Now I look at the leg and think, well, it's not a chicken. <laughs> I haven't abided in this stuff. I still love the woods and I get out every time I can. But I got to tell you, I, 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 you cover a bird up, yeah, I don't know it. Because I haven't abided in it. I didn't stay in that. I didn't work in that my whole life. Love it, but I haven't abided in it. Ah, my friends. It's a little bit of a silly story, but maybe makes the point. Once you become convinced of it, stay there. Amen? Stay on the truth. You know, we have this thing in our culture where, where if it's got, something's always got to be new, Right? The marketers would be out of a job, you know, if, if you don't, you got to make something new. Friends, with this, you don't look for something new. You learn it, you become convinced of it, and then you stay there. Once you got it, you stay there. And sometimes life, sometimes life is a little rough and it makes us a little fuzzy and we get, we start to forget. We just got to get back to what we know is true, affirm it again. Tell God that you affirm it. Trust him and watch the fog clear. Watch the fog clear. Well, where are you in this process? Learning it, becoming convinced, abiding in it. Where are you? Maybe you're just learning it. Keep at it. Keep in the scriptures. Maybe, maybe you've learned it, but there's parts of the picture that you haven't really become convinced of. Well, just tell God that and keep in the scriptures and keep around sincere people and let God do in you what he wants to do. And then maybe you're on the third step, which doesn't end until we die or until the Lord comes back. That we're, we got to stay there now. Don't get knocked off base. Don't get distracted by things that people say out there. Just stay put. On what you know is true. And on the one who you know is true, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.
Our Father, we, we thank you for our salvation. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would help us learn it. And in, in a, a group this size, I'm sure, O oh Father, there are people at different places, some who are just learning it, some who have learned it in one sense but haven't become convinced, and others who have become convinced but are starting to get distracted or foggy or forgetful. O oh Lord, in each case, I pray that you would give grace and that you would help and that you would strengthen. And then I pray a special prayer, Father, for two, two special burdens. On the one hand, I pray for those in our number who are really struggling right now with trials that have come their way, that have shook them. Lord, right there, I pray that you would meet them and that their faith would become the stronger for it and that around them would be sincere people who are also a source of strength for them. And then I pray, Father, for our children. Our children, O oh Lord, who are growing and learning, but have yet actually become convinced. Father, in your mercy, guard them, protect them from foolish decisions, and, and, and work in mercy in their lives to, to finish what their parents have tried so hard to do. Help them to become convinced of the truth about Jesus Christ and to really know it and then to abide in it and give their parents great grace as they walk through this process too. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.